Okay, welcome to episode one or two of uh, As Yet Unnamed Podcast. Welcome, Bria. Welcome, Jenna. Thanks. Uh, would you like to describe what it is I'm uh, holding and playing with for our listeners? Uh, it appears to be a very segmented dinosaur. That uh, It looks like you've attached different bits and pieces to, to add more articulation in there. Yes. It's pretty cool, honestly. It's Thank you. It is a Jurassic Park, I think Jurassic World Baryonyx, which okay. I have added functionality to, posability to. I chopped him up and made it into a posable dinosaur skeleton that is still a work in progress. Yeah, I think the head just fell off. <laughs> that, that, shush. <laughs> uh, it's very delicate doing these things. surmise as people who perhaps follow any other work i do might be able to guess i'm a big dino head yeah. way into the dinos but i don't really where do you weigh in on the dinosaur question um I, dinosaurs is something that i was i was pretty keen on when i was um younger and i still have a sort of fascination for i dove into a little bit but um then i got super interested in other things like space and whatever the hell because i guess that's how my ADHD tends to go. So your first word wasn't Diplodocus. <laughs> no, no, I can't say it was. I'm not actually sure what my first word was. Oh, oh, I'm very interested to know that, actually. My first word was Diplodocus, apparently, <laughs> according to my mom. That's impressive. I'm a big dino head. I've always loved the dinos. Uh, they're just, they're the biggest, coolest animal. I think, uh, I've never met somebody that straight up doesn't like dinosaurs. I wouldn't trust somebody that I met who didn't like dinosaurs. But honestly, it's a place where a lot of conflict happens. Uh, the paleontology space is somewhere where a lot of arguments happen. And, you know, I kind of want to touch on something this week that's like the, the hot new dino news. The thing that everyone's yeah. bitching about. You've, I, I talked to you a little bit about this. Do mm -hmm. you want to like, I mean, like I can describe my own thing, yeah. but. Why don't you start us off with that? Yeah, well, okay. So the new, the new hotness in paleontology, if you haven't been keeping up with the dino news, is, uh, is a study by a neurologist. So it's not a paleontologist. It's it's a bit of an outsider. A neurologist has done this, like, CT scans. They, they got all this new technology for doing paleontology now where they do scans of, like, their skulls and bones and stuff to find out information you can't get otherwise from just digging up mm -hmm. bones, right? That makes sense. So they've yeah. been scanning the skulls. They've been checking out their brains. And it's, you know really hard to estimate brain sizes with animals that have been dead for 65 plus million years yeah but you know based on some science they they are able to scan these skulls and see that actually uh, a lot of dinosaurs including tyrannosaurus rex yeah. my favorite dinosaur and personal hero and and all the tyrannosaurids of which there are actually a great many there's a huge variety of tyrannosaurs all huh. over the world for millions of years, Tyrannosaurus rex is the most famous and the largest that we've found so far, but there's tons of these animals. And uh, this brain scan stuff is showing that they got really big brains. They actually have such big brains and such dense brains 
that they likely had uh, the same amount of neurons as a baboon, as modern-day primates, and That's maybe really interesting. had uh, societies, culture, shared information amongst one another, like primates and birds do today, and possibly used tools. Tool use in tyrannosaurs. So I think, I mean, tool use is, that would be huge. It's really awesome. And I'd heard some, some things about some signs that um, certain dinosaurs had, like, basically hands or the equivalent of like enough dexterity in their forelimbs to manipulate things and there was some thoughts that they might have used tools yeah but like you know i mean even even today i think people don't necessarily realize just how many animals around us use tools it used to be something that people assumed was something that separated us from from other animals was that we used tools but the truth is that like otters use tools in fact they have favorite rocks that they keep with them just to smash open clams and things um you know you figure out a good thing you're not gonna let it go yeah using baboons as an example like where i grew up it was often a problem where they'd break into people's homes and like the one thing you don't want to fuck with is a, a troop of baboons that's in your house just, like, raiding your fridge. Oh, my God. That would be the most <laughs> terrifying thing I've ever seen. I don't know if anyone who's listening to this has seen a baboon or seen specifically their teeth. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. I don't care how smart they are. Yeah, not only, like, I think a, a thing that people don't also realize is that they, they like to use their hands, and they will tear you to shreds. Well, they will beat you within an inch of your life quite easily. Well, they gotta be, you know, all primates are really strong. I assume baboons are relatively high up there in the strength index. They're not the biggest primate, but they're not small either. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and I mean, they primarily travel in troops, so you almost never find a single one. You'll find a group. They have really interesting group dynamics. There's which... a lot of through lines there, actually, with was... tyrannosaurs. I think yeah. it's very interesting uh, that we see this brain overlap with baboons and tyrannosaurs, supposedly alleged brain overlap. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you brought up hands, because ha- humans also like to think of his thumbs as like the thing that separates us from the animals. But uh, thumbs, opposable thumbs have evolved, I believe, no less than four or five times in I, the history of life. I think so. I mean, yeah, I'm, I seem to remember that otters have something like opposable thumbs. Raccoons got them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rats basically have them. Uh, theropod dinosaurs, the meat eaters, the bird-like ones, of which tyrannosaurs were members of, they also had opposable thumbs yeah. and could hold things with them. But a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. The response to this thing is people are pretty up in arms about the controversial statement that T-Rex had tool use. How do they use tools? They got them little hands. They got little arms. T-Rex is not exactly known for big hand use. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the interesting thing. Cause it's, it's always been a bit of a, a confusing thing as to sort of why they had them in the first place. I don't really know the, the fossil record that well, but I don't... I seem to remember that they were... Um, like they were still being used they still clearly had musculature they still had use even if it was somewhat like limited by their size but maybe using tool use it would make a lot more sense if they they had limited tool use to have small hands i don't know possibly i mean i think where most people are going with this is the idea that they didn't need those hands uh if you look at how most animals evolve like we see lots of cases of animals losing traits over time through evolution 
uh, like cave creatures that don't see anymore. I'll, I've had people in the past talk to me and they're like, well, like, well, why would an animal lose its eyesight? Why would it like not want to see? Isn't that like a super useful thing to have? Like, why would you get rid of a trait that you had previously? And uh, well, I mean, you, I don't know. Have you ever heard of this argument before? I, I have. And it, it always sort of struck me as a bit strange of an argument to have because like, um, you know, evolution always adapts for its environment, you know, survival of the fittest, but survival of the fittest to the environment. I mean, this, like, this ain't about who can do the most push-ups. Yeah, yeah. This is more about like, okay, well, if you live in perpetual darkness, why would you use eyes? Like, they don't make any sense because eyes rely on light. Have so you ever been only... in a cave, folks? You, <laughs> have you ever gone on a little afternoon cave trip and the guide tells everyone to turn out their lights for a minute there? It's it's pretty dark. It's as dark yeah. as it gets. You ain't seeing anything no matter how great your eyes are. And like the result is that most most creatures have just the barest that live in in these sorts of places have the the barest vision at all, just enough to tell tell there is light and the vague direction of it, and that's about it. Because spending more energy on it is just a waste. Evolutionarily, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, do you need it for survival? Well, sometimes with the basic idea of hey, there's light coming from that vague direction, stay the fuck away. Otherwise, it's it's just sort of useless and a waste of energy most animals like they're living in like a pretty harsh existence a very competitive existence living in a cave especially like say in our example there isn't a whole lot to eat there's not a whole lot of resources every bit of energy you're spending matters quite a bit and that's not just in a cave that's all environments all animals they have to be very mindful of how many calories they're spending and imagine you and your friend both have this, the same job and the job is very demanding and yeah. you, you're constantly worked to the bone and you almost have no energy left from how hard you're working. But on top of that, you also are trying to do a whole bunch of push-ups every single day, maybe, or you've got like an extra organ that you're having to give energy to, to stay alive. I, I've got a feeling that over the long run, your friend is going to be feeling a little bit better than you are because they're working hard, but you're working so hard you can't even keep up. Yeah. You're going to burn yourself out. So, like, you know, why would you keep holding on to eyesight in a space where every little calorie counts? And, yeah. you know, you're going to have to give up something if you want to keep up with everybody else. I mean, you know, the the fundamental sort of part of evolution is just who gets to breed first? Like... That's why there are so many species that have this um, little traits of like breeding a bunch and then they die because their next, their offspring are just supposed to carry on the thing. And they'll have so many offspring that the odds of most of them surviving means that the species carries on. Their genetic code is the one that carries on. Yeah. So, and if you have like, cancer or something, by the way, in that genetic code, but you already had kids, well, who cares? You already had kids. You're dead, buddy. It yep. doesn't matter anymore. Cancer didn't get there before you got to breathe, so... Your kids are going to get cancer, too. Yeah. If they make it that far, which most won't. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, so, you know, just going back to, like, tyrannosaurs, there's a lot of evidence. Uh, they focused on their heads. They didn't yeah. need arms anymore. They, they weren't living in a cave. They were living in the conceptual cave of biting things for a living. Yeah. Uh, do you know that uh, Tyrannosaurus rex uh, is an, is actually like a very special animal? I feel like we we should go into a little bit about. Well, okay. Why? What were these animals? What were they doing? 
what are their physical traits that yeah. might be leading them in this direction of using tools, perhaps with their, not their hands, but their mouths. Well, I mean, that's a that's a good point, because there are so many animals that we know of that um, use their mouth. Like even crows, for instance, are known to, to use their mouths for tools to collect and move things around and open things. Exactly. So. Uh, you don't need hands at all to be holding on to things if you've got a good clamp going on. And tyrannosaurs... Uh, have, by and large, the uh, heaviest, most powerful and intense bite force of any animal in the fossil record. Conservative mm -hmm. estimates put this bite force at 8,000 pounds per square inch. Uh, that's that's a low-end estimate. I've seen estimates as high as uh, 64,000 pounds, which I don't think is real, but they that's... could bite hard. Uh, yeah. I've seen demonstrations. They took a T-Rex tooth, put it on a crush press, set it to 8,000 pounds pressure, took the biggest, beefiest bones they could find, which were uh, buffalo bones. I, I got a feeling you're not allowed to use elephant bones for stuff like this. You probably can't get a hold of elephant bones too easily, I'm guessing. But buffalo bones you can get. And yeah. they, they put these big old bones uh, that you couldn't even break by running over with a car onto this press, and they crushed it at 8,000 pounds per square inch. And those bones were crushed into dust, literal dust. They were just completely obliterated by this massive bite. These animals could bite harder than anything you've ever conceived of in your life. They, like, you know, in Jurassic Park 3, the Spinosaurus beats the Tyrannosaurus? Completely unrealistic. Tyrannosaurus Rex had the Spinosaurus in a bite lock. During that fight, it would be over. 8,000 pounds per square inch is going to pulverize those delicate vertebrae. I'm sorry, buddy. Fake news. I want... A recut of Jurassic Park 3 with T-Rex winning. You're saying Jurassic Park isn't, Park isn't scientifically accurate? Oh, I got ideas about Jurassic Park. We'll have to save for another podcast, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, so we've got big biters. Big hungry biting birds with a big hungry biting mouth. But that ain't all they got going on in that big old head of theirs. Yeah. They had, they've known this for a long time, the Tyrannosaurs had the second largest olfactory lobe in their brain. That's the, the part of the brain for processing scent out of any other animal um, in the fossil record. Can you guess what number one is, Jenna? Oh, I actually have no idea. Uh, well, wild guess, for fun, for funsies. Oh, oh, this is terrible. Um, I love to see you squirm. Uh, perhaps some sort of pig? Not a bad I'm, guess, yeah, yeah. Because okay. I know pigs have more sensitive senses of smell than uh, most dogs do. Getting them truffles. Yeah. Okay. Not a bad guess. Uh, I don't know what the pig's olfactory lobe is, but it's not number one. Supposedly it is the turkey vulture. Turkey vulture is the answer we're looking for. Oh, interesting. Because they eat oh. dead things. They're, they soar up on those thermal currents. They go miles up into the air, and they smell <laughs> from everywhere around them, miles around. They can smell a dead body wafting on the air, and they coast down. They spend no energy, and they go get that dead body. Mm -mm -mm. And then they go and find another one with their great sense of smell. I so, that, yeah, it makes sense they'd be having the biggest. Seems like a pretty smart evolutionary sort of niche to find oneself in. If you're a carrion eater, you're not going to be, like, killing things fresh. So being able to find it from miles around and with minimal effort and minimal risk seems pretty useful. Well, because of this, people thought for a while that maybe Tyrannosaurus rex was primarily an obligate scavenger, meaning it, it obligate, it's obligatory, it has to eat yeah. dead bodies. There's a few other things we can go into that indicate that's probably not the case. 
but it's probably a very inefficient way to do that job to be a big lumbering tens of thousands of pound meat-eating super crusher machine that walks around the plains hoping a dead body shows up rather than a little bird that coasts with no energy on thermal currents. I guess it might have, I mean... The interesting thing for me is like I could see it maybe going in the in the direction of like by being the biggest meanest thing on the floor, most things are gonna run away from it if they hear it coming. Yeah. But anything that's just gotten a fresh kill is probably gonna want to defend it. Yes. And if you're bigger and stronger and meaner, not only could you pick up whatever they just killed, but you could also pick up the thing that's trying to defend it if you're lucky, which means you get two meals for one. Kleptoparasitism, they call it. Lions do it, bears do it, a lot of different birds do it, but usually lions and bears do it by being big and strong. They are a big beefy dude that walks around looking for smaller predators that just took something and they say, nah, this is mine now. I didn't know lions did that. All I've seen was um, lions being poached from. Lions mostly do it to each other. Male lions. The female lions do the running. The male lion comes a coming. (laughs) And yeah. uh, we'll go into that, too, because there's some through lines there. Uh, oh, yeah. It might not have been T-Rex stealing from other animals. It might have been T-Rex uh, stealing from themselves. Exactly. <laughs> I want to I put a pin in that. I want to get back to one more thing here in a T-Rex head. Um, it is the eyes. T-Rex has its eyes on the front of its face, meaning yeah. binocular vision, meaning it is probably a hunter. Yeah. It needs to gauge distances. It needs to make calculations. And binocular vision... Both eyes facing the same direction give you the ability to see things and and compare the two sides of the eyes to give you an accurate 3D image and then make your hunting judgments based on that. Predators tend to have both eyes on the front of their face. The thing about T-Rex is is, um, its eyes were actually some of the biggest, if not the biggest, of any animal we've seen anywhere ever. Meaning, by sheer size alone... Tyrannosaurus rex probably had the best vision out of any animal in the fossil record. That's wild, actually. Biggest bite force, almost best scent, best vision. Especially because, like, a Tyrannosaurus always looks a little goofy because it has these teeny little eyes compared to the size of its head. But, I mean... Its head's just that big. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen a a fossil, like, a T-Rex skull in person, they're huge. They are huge. I highly recommend, I mean... This podcast is not going to come out in time, but Jenna, you should go see the T-Rex exhibit at Science World. It's very good. I've been meaning to and keep missing the opportunity, and I I should just go and do it, because it looks like a lot of fun. And if you're listening to this, you should go back in time and do it. (laughs) Well, like even just taking a visit to whatever your local museum that does paleontology is, is I think worth a trip. I think it's... Oh, yeah. Like... It's fascinating to see an entire set of evolutionary lines that kind of were cut short and to recognize like where the different periods are because there's multiple different like sections to dinosaurs. Oh my God. They weren't all just like chilling around at the same time. Oh yeah, there's there's a bigger difference between Tyrannosaurus rex and Stegosaurus than there is between Tyrannosaurus rex and us in terms of time. Well, uh, you know, as a as a weird side note, another fascinating reason to go and visit some museums, which I, I think is great, is like, it's fun to know that it's been less time between the end of Cleopatra's reign and now than it was between when the Great Pyramids were built and the start of Cleopatra's reign. Wild. Like, considerable amount more. <laughs> 
And I think that's also something to keep in mind for the rest of this podcast, because we've got a little bit of a through line of thinking you're all that yeah. uh, in the grand scheme of things, when the fact is the flow of time is relentless. Uh, so keep that in your mind. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, we've got T-Rexes. they got big old heads, big bite, big nose, big eyes. Uh, they got the biggest uh, head in proportion to the rest of their body out of almost any animal. Yeah. These things... It makes a lot of sense. They have a lot of reasons to have a big head. And it could very well be that as an off set of that, like it's a completely unintentional repercussion of this, as is generally the case in evolution, they also got big brains. Yeah. And they ended up becoming very intelligent because of their huge, disproportionately large heads. Well, they also, because they're four like their forearms are so much shorter than um, their legs they have a sort of somewhat more upright and bipedal structure which is part of the, the structures that we know led to our own evolution of our brains getting bigger and taking up more energy because like by evolving to walk on two legs our brain was supported by our entire spinal column which gave it the ability to get bigger and grow stronger um, like just, you know, for our neck muscles, etc., to be able to support that weight, which is, you know, it's something that we, we're see, we've seen with the, um, the T-Rex. It's like it has some of those structures to support this huge head. Oh, yeah. Modern, modern uh, reconstructions of T-Rex generally have it is very beefy, much more bulky, uh, which I think is a little interesting thing to um, put in. There's a, some criticisms of this study that we're kind of using as the basis for this. The first of which is that this wasn't done by a uh, paleontologist. It was done by yeah. a neurologist. So automatically, people, you're horning in on their turf. Paleontologists aren't going to be too happy about that. But part of another criticism was that it's using, at the time, estimates that people thought were too high for T-Rex. Um, but the truth is, like, most estimates of T-Rex in terms of weight uh, and size... Um, they're a little higher these days. I think previous reconstructions of Tyrannosaurus Rex had it very skinny, shrink-wrapped, they call it, in the paleo art reconstruction uh, field. Yeah. We don't think of dinosaurs as being shrink-wrapped these days. We think of them having a little more heft. Look at most yeah. modern animals. They got some weird bulky bits. They got big fluffy things. They got weird danglies. Yeah. Chances are Tyrannosaurus Rex was a big, chunky, beefy a uh, guy that wasn't a shrink wrap skeleton so it probably was very heavy uh so i don't know if i find this um mass estimate criticism to be you know very uh much you know for making me not think this is cool and therefore real but uh you know like going back to um size of the head yeah oh yeah i remember what i want to do next i want you to look at this i've got i got another thing dear viewer and jenna's gonna have to describe what i have to show her here um in particular this section here of the page oh interesting so this looks like it's a, a book on like let me read the the title after man a zoology of the future um, and in this particular section is dealing with what looks like the, um, the ancestor of the common baboons, um, with honestly very short four front, uh, four paws, four legs, 
and much bigger, larger back legs. And it's sort of covered in fur, but it almost looks a lot closer to something like a T-Rex than I think any people would uh, would assume. It's a really interesting. Oh wait, this is Afterman. So this Afterman. is I am going completely the wrong direction. You're almost but, but it is interesting to look at those kinds of um, connections that people would draw for these kinds of things. Of like, well, okay, yeah, I could see this kind of moving away where the the there's a, a picture of them eating some some prey, and although they're using their front paws to like latch on there's much more focus on like the jaw strength and the muscles that run right from the the trunk of it up to its head so that it has more by the looks of it control and structure in that which is i think something very similar to the way that a t-rex would have like with its mm-hmm. ability to move its head more than 90 degrees to the side almost from from what i've seen of uh, paleontological uh, paleontology ah paleontology um, like reports and and like um, details of the structure of their what they looked like, what they were capable of. Well, yes. Sorry. Uh, no, I uh, it was very nice to watch you try to interpret this weird thing. <laughs> you. Yeah, this is After Man: Zoology of the Future by Dougal Dixon, one of my favorite books. I highly recommend anything by Dougal Dixon. Uh, he's imagining potential evolutionary lines in the future 100 million years in the future i believe after humans disappeared and this book was written like i don't know 20 years ago like it's not a new book at all and he imagined uh baboons evolving into what he calls the raboon a large tyrannosaurus like 20 foot or so long plains predator that walked around and used its big scary baboon face and teeth to kill things and Mm. had a sort of I believe, uh, a hierarchical structure, much like baboon packs today. Baboons, they live yeah. in large groups, yeah, and uh, they they tend to, to hunt together, I believe. Yeah. Um, so this is the idea of this large raboon might send out smaller raboons, the young raboons, to go and get stuff, and then the large one will come and maybe scare them off yeah. and eat that. It might eat... Uh, this was written around the time of thinking of T-Rex as a scavenger as well. So I think he's had one, the largest one is more of a scavenger, but like, it's interesting that this guy purely speculative, it's a science based writer, but it was a speculative creative work. He was seeing this through line of baboons and tyrannosaurs kind of early on and in the same kind of parallels of where uh, interestingly, our ideas about tyrannosaurus have gone in the years since this book was written because this structure of a social structure of being in a pack more of having younger ones go out and do the hunting and the older more powerful ones stay back and then maybe take the lion's share that's starting to be how people think of t-rex these days i mean there's that would be a terrifying uh thing to encounter pack hunting social tyrannosaurus yeah just this pack of huge carnivores just chasing you down that you could literally hear coming when they decided that they wanted you to um that would be utterly terrifying well there's current evidence shows that tyrannosaurus rex grew very quickly very the most tyrannosauruses by the way lived roughly the same amount of time as baboons between 30 they haven't found i believe evidence of the tyrannosaurus living beyond 30 years but i've read a lot of I don't know what exactly. Some science stuff. They think there's potential they could live 
up to 45 years, which is the life expectancy of a baboon. Yeah. So 30 to 45 year life expectancy. Um, just put, you know, throwing that out there. But also, uh, they found some evidence of Tyrannosaur tracks all together, all made at the same time. So that's not guaranteed evidence of pack hunting of any sort, but it is evidence that Tyrannosaurs at some point in time were together congregating for some reason. That's interesting. Were they the same sort of size? I believe there was all different sizes. Okay. Because, like, I, I, like, yeah, the one argument that I would see that might come up against that would be, like, um, one large one and, a, a, and juveniles with it. But, like, if they're all different sizes, then that would imply some kind of meeting or structure or group. And even if it was hunting as a, like, one one or two parents and their juveniles that's like more organization than i think anybody realized people tend to like depict them in jurassic park and other places as being like singular focused one animal just chasing down others but well yeah who would have pinned in that because i think that has to do with how we think of animals and animal behavior in society yeah. but uh you might remember, i've just mentioned that tyrannosaurs uh, matured and grew up very quickly, very suddenly. Yeah. So we have this evidence of tyrannosaurs maybe congregating together, and we have the growth, we see growth rings in the bones and such, that juveniles mature very quickly. And when juveniles are in that maturing process, they look very different. They morphologically change quite a bit over the course of their ma uh, maturation. They get that big head. They change their body shape massively as they evolve into what we think of as tyrannosaurus today a juvenile tyrannosaurus doesn't look like an, a smaller adult tyrannosaurus it actually has a smaller head it has a smaller overall uh, body shape with longer legs that's uh, really interesting current reconstructions of tyrannosaurus rex which of course as you may remember from a minute ago have it as being a lot bigger and heavier than we yeah. previously thought current reconstructions of adult tyrannosaurus rex uh, show that it is not probably wasn't capable of running running properly in the sense of at some point during the cycle of its feet moving both feet are off the ground at the same time a true proper run a jaunty yeah. trot <laughs> couldn't do it chances are it was too heavy too risky it could fall and hurt itself with tens of thousands of pounds coming down on those bones as strong as they are might not be a good idea for it to run that's a really good point, actually. But it could walk very quickly. It could probably walk faster than you could run. Yeah. But by a fair bit. However, these juvenile ones, they could run. Uh, they could run quite fast uh, by current reconstructions based on... And, you know, by the way, reconstructions today are a lot better than they were in the past because we have a lot more data to go on. We can use computer models to see how they probably move, compare them to how other animals move. And we can just see the way that it all shakes out in the models that we create these little guys, the semi-juvenile T-Rexes, they could run. They could hunt. They were more like, say, uh, a female lioness versus the large, bulky male lion. Huh. So what we're starting to see is a possibility, an idea of a, a Tyrannosaur familial social structure where small juveniles are sent out as runners to either chase prey out of hiding or chase it down directly. And then the large male, or not necessarily male, because there's something interesting. In the case of lions, it'd be the male. Yeah. Uh, in the case of tyrannosaurs, who knows? 
transfers generally seem to be somewhat gender indeterminate and if anything the larger ones we find show evidence that they might have been female so who knows okay. with that but big ones the parents the older ones they would come up after perhaps just one parent and its children and we find in uh dinosaurs that show evidence of being preyed upon by tyrannosaurs meaning tyrannosaur bite impressions in the bones yeah. typically when you find that it's uh you find tyrannosaurus uh teeth marks scraping the meat off the pectoral region of the animal which dinosaurs are related to birds we're yeah. talking about a nice big old chicken breast yeah. the big the big meatiest part of the animal chances are or one of the meatiest parts beautiful prime area and we see that scraped off in big bites by an adult tyrannosaur yeah. nice like it was high protein a nice high-protein uh, take of the lion's share, perhaps, of a kill that yeah. would then leave behind for the other parts to be eaten by smaller predators who may or may not have been juvenile tyrannosaurs working for their mama. Interesting. So this is a little, you know, <laughs> we don't know for sure. We don't, there's no way to prove this. This is tens of millions of years in the past. But we see animals that work like this today. Yeah. We see these animals have structures that are similar to animals doing this sort of thing today. And we have now this structure in the brain that might allow for them to be doing this kind of complex social behavior of a family unit hunting together at different life stages. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to, to contemplate, I think, like that those kinds of social structures and in in dinosaurs that we've always thought of as very like solitary and big and like okay they ruled the roost and that's as far as i think most people thought about it but like it brings up a lot of i think interesting points around like other animals today that have these social structures i think some people aren't always you know people think of like a pride of lions and they hunt together and what have you but like I don't think people contemplate how how animals build social structures and how similar they are to humans. Like, you know, we're we're a social species, but we're not the only social species. In fact, there are so many species that are incredibly social. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if we had like dinosaurs doing the same kind of thing. Well, life has been going on for a long time. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, life has existed for like a billion years on this planet, as far as we can tell. Yeah. Multicellular life for 500 plus million years. Dinosaurs were in charge of this planet for like 150 million years. There's very little, I think, that's completely new under the sun. Most things have been done in some form or another, you know, in terms of life and biological development and body plans. Most yeah. things have been done in some like... We like to think of ourselves as the end point of evolution, and we're going to get into that more, but like, the truth is it never stops, it keeps on going, and it's been going for a long time before, so there's no reason to believe that what's happening today is somehow like completely unique. Yeah. If anything, I think like, you know, something to discuss at another point, but I think where we've reached as a species is where we're starting to take our own evolution into our own hands. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is perhaps a, a step on the the path to eventually one day leaving this planet. But, uh, you oh. know, not that I want to say that leaving this planet is a great goal, but I think it like expanding our 
expanding our universe, understanding more of what's out there is, I think, well, a worthy goal. You are describing something that apparently, as far as we know, no other creature has done. New stuff. Humans do new stuff. I think humans yeah. have at least some justification in thinking of ourselves as like new or special or, dare I say, better than other animals. Because look at us. We're dominating everything. We're, we're winning, uh, apparently, uh, the game of life. And, yeah. and and ruling the planet but you know obviously we're still sort of one asteroid away from it all kind of coming crashing down as so. well as the capacity for ourselves to be our own asteroid which yeah. no other animal has done so it's like oh wow good for you you're so powerful but to what end <laughs> right <laughs> so annihilation of our own species So people, though, there's one more piece to this. We talk about, okay, maybe they could have a society. Lots of animals have families. Lots of animals hang out together and hunt together and stuff, right? We've got some through lines here we could think of as tyrannosaurs as a social group. But what about that tool use? We've talked about how birds and and such do tools. Um, I want you to picture this. Yeah. Picture yourself, Jana, listener. Mm -hmm. Picture yourself running for your life you are being chased by a large predator through the woods and it it can walk pretty fast faster than you can run perhaps so you've got to hide you've got to get away from this big guy he's got a big head so maybe he can't reach you between some rocks so you, you squeeze yourself in between these two rocks you're so small you're so tricky he can't get you right well you hear some snapping some cracking (laughs) It sounds like branches are being broken. And as you're wondering about what that sound is, you're impaled by a stick that's being cracked and bent at a 90 degree angle. And you are unceremoniously pulled out from in between the safety of your little rocks. Uh, And you look up and you see a big hungry biting bird resting its jaws around you with its discarded broken and bent stick that it left by the wayside to stab you with. Yeah, nice little human uh, human kebab. I, I mean, I wonder if we'd be big enough for it to want to eat us, but certainly that is a terrifying picture. Like, we, Yeah, we often, I wonder about that too, right? I think I'd be more afraid of them juvenile tyrannosaurs hunting yeah. me down than an adult one. But again, juvenile tyrannosaurs conceivably could be doing this too. It doesn't have to be the adult. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have them big heads, so maybe they weren't as smart as the adults. But they, we can see, like, there's a through line here of, like, that's a possible way. An animal that has a big head but doesn't have big hands could be using a tool, a very simple tool. It's not even very complex to help it in its life. I mean, also, if, if it's not capable of running, um, and perhaps some of its prey was capable of of reasonable speeds like we see lions using um trap like tactics where they'll lay in wait and have some of the pack like some of the pride actually push animals towards the trap that they're setting so that they can angle off or or corner off one or two of them and pounce out create a sort of trap i i could see um t-rex is doing the same kind of thing um, yeah. also, you know, being able to like break trees and branches and move things around. Like if you have a 
head that big, jaws that big, you could crunch up some trees and create a barricade that would slow slow your prey down so that you can then chase them around into the, that kind of trap. Like a different kind of tool use that is something that our species used like throughout its life. Like we still use traps to these days and to this day for, for hunting in a number of ways. And if you are skeptical of this, dear listener, uh, I want you to consider the finding that alligators and crocodiles also do this. Yeah, they, they wear hats. They wear little hats. They get sticks. So cute. They put sticks on their head and they lie down and pretend they're a log. And then a bird comes along to get the stick because it thinks it's good nest material. And then, snap, alligator gets some lunch. Well, the interesting thing is I was reading something about it the other day where they're actually not even sure if that's specifically why they do that. Or if they just like having hats. Aww. Because they can't tell if there's a correlation. But they just know that certain crocodiles very specifically go and put branches on their head. Like... Crocodiles, <laughs> by the way, ain't exactly known for their intelligence. Yeah, they're not the smartest. Uh, they, I think they're smarter than people give them credit for, but they're not particularly smart. They, they don't need to be. Their job is a pretty simple job most of the time. Talk about, like, evolution and survival of the fittest. Crocodiles have been fit for survival for longer than most species on this planet. I think they're one of the only ones that existed as at the time of the dinosaurs and still exist in basically the same form. They're, they're, and not just physically, but their DNA has not changed very much. Yeah. Uh, there's no... I can't remember how they sequence this. They can do some kind of sequencing with DNA, I think, where they see what kind of changes it's going it's gone through. Yeah. And it, it doesn't seem like it's changed very much at all in all the years that they've existed. Uh, crocodiles and alligators, apparently it's not that... Like, once you figure out how to pretend to be a log and bite things for a living... You don't need to change a whole lot after that. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, if you just hang out in enough ponds with uh, being like one of the only sources of water in the nearby area, everything is coming to you. So, uh... <laughs> so, so here we have animals that, you know, don't have hands at all that are using tools. We got crocodiles wearing hats. Yeah. We got birds that there's tons of, I don't need to tell you chances are about all the different experiments where crows and other birds are breaking and bending sticks. They're bending wires. They're fishing things out of holes. Yeah. Chimpanzees also, they've got hands, so they're cheaters, but they're bending and breaking sticks to fish things out of holes. There's actually, there's an interesting um, dynamic that I've seen with both bears and raccoons where presence in our, on the fringes of our society seems to be speeding up their evolution, particularly in terms of tool use. Because raccoons, like, I know a bunch of people constantly complain about the fact that, like, they'll create something that is supposedly raccoon-proof, and then five years later, the raccoons are busy getting in there. Little trash pandas have managed to find their way through whatever those these raccoon-proof um, things are because they're just that smart, and they've seen people do it. So they're like, okay, well, I know how to do that. This like, is getting into the realm of animal society, animal culture, animal yeah. learning. And we are very resistant to this idea. I think like people are so resistant to this study of, of T-Rex having intelligence and tool use. And I think it's feeding into a larger resistance to animal cognition in general. And the idea that animals might actually be able to learn new things and and react to the the things that we do to prevent them from eating our garbage say yeah i mean you know i think a lot of people are are anxious not to think too hard about this because 
it has some far-reaching consequences for uh, their own lives and their own moral choices. You know, I I will say up front, I eat meat. I still do. Um, I I've heard a lot of arguments around like environmental factors, which I don't think are as accurate as or take things for. Some of them feel a little bit strange, but the one place where I just can't argue with vegetarians and vegans is around the morality of it. Because, like, animals seem to show a great deal of awareness for their surroundings, awareness of self, have social structures, intelligence, and things like that. And, like, you know, I think a lot of people would feel very uncomfortable at the idea that, like, their cat or dog is as smart as, like, a toddler. But we're starting to see, like, these, those, like, floor mat pad things where they can answer back. Oh my god, yeah. People having conversations with their pets, basically. Yeah, I've seen some of the way the pets are having, like, existential crises. Like, if they lose uh, one of the family pets, they'll start asking where the pet is, and recognizing that the pet, that, that other pet is dead, um, and and demonstrating that they're sad about it, that they don't really know what to do, that they have these kind of, like, emotional crises. And it's like, it's wild that, like, given these communication tools, they can communicate. They can understand these advanced, relatively advanced concepts. And it's like, well, kind of brings up the question of should we have them as pets? I mean, it, of course, gets into the other more uncomfortable question about how, yes, your dog and cat is about as smart as a toddler, and a pig is even smarter than that. Yeah. And uh, we do far worse things to pigs than we do to dogs and cats. Yep. I will say full disclosure, I was a vegan slash vegetarian for at least five years for moral reasons. I'm no longer that. I do eat meat now. But honestly, like you, I, I can't really argue with moral reasons. Like, look, if you're an indigenous hunter, if you have to eat meat for survival for whatever reason, I don't think anyone has any right to tell you what you yeah. should and shouldn't do for that. You're doing your thing as any other living thing on this planet. But like, come on. We're living in a cushy life in the city. We've got everything handed to us. We've got all the super technology that supposedly makes humans so special. And at the end of the day, we could provide all our material needs without having to literally kill anybody and like, yeah, I mean, go into the whole thing of like agriculture kills stuff. Like, yeah, well, most agriculture actually goes to feeding farm animals, which you have to feed far yeah. more food than you would have to eat yourself in order to survive. So you're killing more things for more agriculture to feed agriculture animals, which you are then killing on top of that. I'm sorry, man, no matter how you slice it, the math doesn't add up. You're doing more killing if you're eating animals and if you don't specifically need to be doing the killing well we're basically talking about recreational killing for fun because you like the taste of bacon of an animal that is smarter than a toddler yeah kind of effed up to be honest yep Although, people don't like it people hate it yeah i mean the, the the interesting thing for me is that um like it within that is there is a, a sort of fascinating difficulty because our society doesn't make it easy to avoid meat it makes it extremely difficult you can't it literally like, the streets are paved with pig byproducts like yeah. you cannot be vegan actually yeah like it you have to have a certain like threshold of income in order to get all of the nutrients and minerals and all the stuff that you need outside of um meat to live a sort of vegan diet and like 
it basically means that you never purchase anything in a store. It basically means that, you know, you have to vet every single restaurant you go to. You have to vet every source of um, everything. And it's just, it's a lot of work that people don't have the energy or time to, to throw into things. And I, I can't necessarily blame them for that. But there's also a, a secondary layer, which is that um, we have, as a species, turned certain animals into entirely dependent on us. There are like there are uh, species of sheep that, without being shorn, they will die from the fact that they are just covered in this whole coat of wool that they mm-hmm. can't get rid of. Like there was a case where the a sheep that had run away and gotten stuck in a cave for like a year and a half and the thing was just basically unable to move and it didn't take them very much effort to bring it back because it needed to be like shorn it needed that wool taken off of it because we bred them to the point where they rely on us cutting their wool off in order to to keep going and like all these other animals that are just defenseless yeah dogs don't even do very well without humans cows are most breeds of cows require constant care and maintenance from people because they've become dependent on us over like thousands of years mm-hmm. it's through no fault of their own yeah and like yeah okay so what are we going to do with them there's a, this is like a whole complicated thing like i don't want to even make this podcast episode is not even about animal rights no. i don't want to <laughs> piss off a bunch of people i'm not vegan i'm not going to tell you to be vegan but I, I do think it's interesting that people are so resistant to any idea that animals might think, animals might feel, animals might have families or societies or yeah. culture that they share, which we know they do. We know uh, crows tell each other things. We know yeah. that crows remember people. They remember people's faces. And like, if you mess with their eggs, they will, like, you'll have a murder of crows following you and attacking you. Like, they're forever. Are, yeah. Like, they, they'll, they'll remember you and they'll come back for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen stories of somebody, like, taking some um, crows that were injured, some baby crows that were injured, to a, a place to look after them. And they spent, like, two years being attacked by this murder of crows. Wow. It's just like... <laughs> and that was them trying to help. I think when the, when the babies were finally released, they started to calm down a little bit. But, like still (laughs) yeah i mean they're remembering and they're telling other crows about these things yeah and then we have primates there's uh the japanese macaques tourists would feed them grain and often the grain would get in like you know dirt and sand and that's not very nice to eat well one macaque she figured out that you could put the grain with all the sand and stuff into water and the sand will sink and the grain will float you can wash your grain and then you can eat it without any dirt or sand and then pretty soon other macaques saw her doing this, and they started doing it too. She taught them how to wash their food. Yeah, I mean, washing food is something that we've seen. Like, there are joke videos online of giving uh, candy floss to raccoons <gasps> because they go and wash it before they eat it, and oh, then it disappears, and so they look mean. so depressed. Oh, it's it's so be mean. Ethics but, and science. Don't be mean to raccoons. They're good. Yeah, raccoons are adorable. I know they're, they're, you know, a lot of people find them worrisome when they carry diseases and stuff. They're wrong. But like, I mean, I don't <laughs> think they're wrong, but I, I, I think you've got to be careful around them. But they are incredibly adorable and just, they're so smart. They're so smart. They In fact, it's thumbs? a huge problem for, like, domesticating them. 
because you can't really keep them as pets without keeping them constantly occupied. Otherwise, we will destroy everything just to understand and to have fun. So, why are we so resistant to animal intelligence? Outside of, like, it's uncomfortable. We don't like the idea that maybe we're enslaving and abusing conscious subjects. But, like, where's that coming from? What are, like, the societal ideas, you think, that are, like, making people just, like... It's icky to us, the idea that we're somehow the same as animals, or animals have something in common with us. Well, you know, I think... Funnily enough, I think there's a very common like through line with, funnily enough, and I, I'm not going to say this is the exact same because there's a lot of layers of complexity, but with concepts like slavery, if we look back at the rhetoric that people used around um, going to these different countries, they'd call people, they'd call the people that they found there uncivilized, uncultured, or let basically try and indicate that they were somehow less than, which to them justified their their interference in their lives their enslavement their use as labor use as cattle almost and it's yeah i think there's a lot of justifications they'd say things like oh they're, they're not smart enough they, they they're like brutes like yeah. children like animals we need to take care of them we need to, to foster them. That's how they're going to have proper well-being. They'd be lost without us. In the in the more terrible cases, things like, well, we've got to help them be useful. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll run rampant if we don't. They'll become, you know, dangerous, right? It gets into this, this concern trolling, this yeah. lie about we need to control them, right? Yeah. And, like, look, you can't communicate with animals as easily as you can communicate with a fellow human being. So there's some reason to believe we can't just let bears walk around the city and stuff that might not be great no but like yeah there's this 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 need to believe that you're better than somebody else that you just so happen to benefit from the exploitation of like we it's like we need to justify it we need to have some kind of ideological underpinning of why we deserve to own everything and be the best basically and yeah. you know, it's interesting you see a whole lot of mental gymnastics going on with people who defend things like generational wealth and inequalities and stuff like that it's uh i lost my train of thought because that thing distracted me look uh, the, the, the people you know like i think of like descartes descartes was everyone loves descartes right he was the smart man i think therefore i am he was the father of modern philosophy or whatever Mm-hmm. He was he was convinced though that also that animals because of his Christian upbringing he was convinced that animals couldn't feel anything and that he did live vivisections of dogs and like oh. told everyone oh don't worry don't worry don't feel bad it doesn't feel anything it's just an automaton only God <gasps> gave us souls so only <sighs> we have true thought so I hear I'll cut this dog open while it's still alive and literally nailed to a board. And while it's, you know, we'll all hear its cries. It's what a me- wonderful mechanism God has created. Like That's so depressing. This man of science, this incredible genius that we all uphold as, as a brilliant thinker. He was very much steeped in his ideas about Christianity. Man is the apex of the chain of being, the, the medieval chain of being with animals at the lowest, then the lowly peasant woman, then mm-hmm. peasant man, noble men and women to a lower extent. You know, the the chain leading up to the king and the pope and then God, right? And that's the natural chain of being. Who deserves to have all the gold and get everything and not die of malnutrition? And who has to be working in the fields or enslaved and murdered? Like, that's what this brilliant thinker was coming out of, this context. And he didn't even 
see it. Yeah. He didn't get it. And he was so convinced by his own underlying ideological underpinning that of course animals must not feel anything and that I should be okay to cut them up. And I'm the only person person or thing that deserves to think I can, I can have a soul, right? It's this essentialism of humanity as having a soul. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I am not a big fan of religion. I, um, I grew up in an atheist household. I had a Catholic extended family. Um, my grandparents were on my my dad's side. My dad was an altar boy and hated the church so much that he wrote them a letter to get himself excommunicated. Um, so I, I sort of, you know, I guess I had a, a bias from the start. But I went and studied. Um, I took Jewish studies class and I had classmates that were uh, Muslim, and we had these long discussions about religion. And I, I find it a really fascinating topic. But at the end of the day, I kind of think it's it often has these very toxic views on things, and especially Catholicism and Christianity tends to have quite toxic views on animals and like our interaction with them, and like. That same rhetoric was used to dehumanize um, indigenous people throughout the world by colonial powers. They used that kind of like religious view on things to just say, well, no, 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 they're, they're less than human. They don't get to be as while also pushing their religion on them. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, has a, a whole range of other things. But I think like that that view of like, okay, well only people only man is the one that gets to go to the the kingdom of heaven and all animals are just like creations that were created for our entertainment and our benefit like it's such a toxic view of the, the natural world generally everything yeah. other people even can be used to yeah. you can you can use anything that is less than you it comes down to this kind of skewed view of survival of the fittest in that sense of I'm the biggest and the strongest. Might makes, right? Or intelligence makes and smelligence. You think you're better than other people because you're so smart. And you think you can do whatever you want to somebody because you can get one over on them. If you've got more power, you deserve to dominate them. Clearly. It's just prosperity gospel. You clearly deserved it. I I get to win in real life and in, in the world. So that means that God loves me more than you. Like... I- it's it's a weird it's a weird sort of connection to make, but um, my my mother was a big member of um, well my kind of my grandparents as well on my mother's side were big members of Mensa, um, you know the organization where you're supposed to have like 140 IQ plus or whatever to be a, a member, and they used to do tests in South Africa that in their view showed that there was some sort of difference in inter- intelligence between black people and white people oh dear and like they they get very into the whole eugenics thing the the thing that like bothered me the most about it was that it was just completely blind to the facts which is that they were testing in english with europe focused questions and math questions to people that didn't have the same education background and like honestly most iq tests are really biased oh yeah like insanely biased but they didn't want to admit any of that because it was just another excuse to say, oh, no, we're better than them. And, like, 
And it, they're seeing what they want to see already. Yeah. They're coming out of their context of this assumption they have underlying, like Descartes and his assumption about man and the animals. Yeah. Their assumption, we must be better and we're going to find it with science and its objective. Yeah. It, it's, I think, like, the the view that one is better than another is is so often used to to justify just awful things. I think, like, challenging those is often very uncomfortable for people because it challenges their place in the system, their place in the hierarchy. And, like, you know, we could get into, like, hierarchies and all of that, but I think, like, it, it all ties into this idea that, like, if we're better than them, then we should have control over them, which I think is fundamentally wrong on both counts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this hierarchy of, of you know like the great chain of being I'm better than you so I get to dominate you like it's interesting that like our idea about evolution is still kind of following this the survival of the fittest uh, people have this idea that evolution is a straight line it's yeah. it's, it's a progress a progression from less complicated to more complicated from weaker to stronger from stupid to smart we got the line right it goes from the primordial soup to single cells to more complex single cells to multicellular life to a fish crawling out of the water to amphibian to a reptile to a mammal to a monkey to a human to who knows? Well, most people stopped at human. Yeah. Um, that, that, that ain't how it works, though. That's It's not that. It's very uh, easy for us to think that, given that we are living at the furthest, most point in time that we are capable of perceiving in a linear fashion. So I guess we could be forgiven for thinking we're the end point. I, I mean, I, I can understand for most people that don't want to like take a deep dive to understand why we aren't some sort of pinnacle of evolution. We're just sort of and I mean, this is the thing. I'm not even sure we're the smartest beings on this planet. We're just beings that have put all of our stats into, like, adaptability in a number of ways and, like, thought. Um, but, you know, there's there's evidence to suggest that dolphins are pretty, pretty bloody smart. And like we've spoken about a few different animals. But one of my favorite sort of counters to the idea that evolution is, like, a straight line or anything like it is... All these little offshoots of um, evolutionary dead ends, like panda bears and um, and koala bears. Both of them are just well, koalas. I don't know if they're specifically koala bears, but like both are of them are marsupials. Yeah, they're they're marsupials. That's a really interesting like whole other thing is that Australia. Um, and New Zealand developed a number of birds and animals that have exactly the same, that fit exactly the same niche as their, um, like, Europe, Africa, and America's counterparts, but completely different DNA. They, they had to fill the same role in their ecosystem, but they're coming from a completely different ancestral background, yeah. so they're very different animals unrelated to unrelated their... in in almost all cases incapable of crossbreeding but they look almost identical this is what we call convergent evolution yeah two organisms or more that look superficially the same to fill the same role but are actually quite different yeah i like to go back to the sort of evolutionary dead ends of like 
um, koalas and um, pandas, like both of them have reached a point where <laughs> they, they, uh, if I remember correctly, both end up having to eat the fecal matter of their parents in order to gain the digestive bacteria needed to process their primary food source. And in fact, they spend so much energy eating it that they are quite lethargic as creatures. Both tend to have quite small brains, and they have a singular food source where they don't really have any competition because no other species looked at it and went, yeah, that seems like a viable like source of food, source of energy. Like Pandas are so slow and lethargic because most of their energy is spent just digesting their food for that like 5% of extra energy that they get out of it. They are one of the only species of bears that cannot hibernate, because if they hibernate, they die. Because <laughs> they just don't get enough energy. Like, they have to be eating constantly year-round. Um, and yet, uh, they fit, and so they survived. Yep. And that's the thing. They are the pinnacle of evolution down this evolutionary dead end. If you want to eat bamboo, no one's better than them. Yeah. Which is why I, I tend to think of, like, if this is the end of evolution then we're doomed. Yeah, because we, uh, we we sure do seem to be falling into the, a lot of the same traps that other animals fall into. Uh, most of our behavior doesn't really seem to deviate too far from any other species that has its natural predators removed. They keep breeding and eating until they run out of resources and then they die. Well, I mean, so that could spark a whole interesting other conversation. We have control over how we breed and so forth, and because we're a species that plans... Funnily enough, a lot of first world countries are having huge problems where without immigration, they cannot keep their numbers up. Um, Japan, for instance, has a huge problem where they're encouraging their youth to sleep with each other because they just don't have enough population growth. Their population numbers are steadily in decline. We're finding the same in, I think, the Netherlands had some adverts a while ago basically encouraging people to sleep with each other more as well. Because, like, same thing. They just don't have enough population growth. Um, even places like South Africa, where I grew up, we're starting to see where the the birth rate is lower than the death rate. Oh. So most of the influx of people is actually coming from across the borders. And that's a third world country. That's a, you know, first world and third world are sort of strange terms, but... Um, you know, it's a developing nation and they're starting to see like population drop off because people can choose whether or not they have children. So like we're, we're actually reaching a point where we, under our current system, are reaching capacity. People can't afford to have kids, so they don't because there's not enough resources because if you, well, the shitheads are holding it all. Well, I've been kind of smirking because it's like, oh, so you have a whole campaign to convince people to have kids. Have you ever thought about like paying people more or making it so they could actually have a house that they could raise children in? <laughs> ever thought about that one? Well, I mean, this is the interesting thing because like different countries start putting like bigger amounts as rewards for having kids, but they don't deal with the fundamental issues of, yeah, housing and like money to cover expenses because it's like yeah okay cool like get a bit of money but often it isn't as much as it costs to look after a newborn child like, yeah baby stuff is insanely expensive an industry that's only really taken off in the past like 50 years like 
before that they were like yeah here's a sort of dress thing until you're 12 and um good luck with electrical sockets <laughs> yeah don't stick anything in electrical sockets and we'll see you tomorrow like oh go out and play for the next seven and a half hours and bother me when you come back well we see ourselves <laughs> reaching a point with our our civilization and our culture where it's getting bloated it's getting bogged down by its own mess there's parasitism from the top there's yeah. you know like it becomes unwieldy like a wire model that you've added to I, I can't did i talk about this in the last one we talked on i know I i've talked remember, about this but... lots i do this all the time i love talking about wire models you build yeah. you build a model and it seems really cool it's like this neat little dinosaur you've made out of wire just a couple wires twisted together and you're like oh this is so neat i could make this more complex i could add more wires to this i could i could make an even more realistic dinosaur with like better joints and it's like bigger and it's like got more complex it's like a full-on skeleton made out of wire and i'm just going to keep on adding to it and oh it's falling under its own weight because wire isn't very strong and you can't make too big of a structure out of it it'll eventually collapse under its own weight and like a tyrannosaur that tried to run when it shouldn't have maybe we're reaching a point with our civilization where it's kind of collapsing under its own weight given how we're trying to do things we're trying to do things in a capitalist sense we're trying to do things in a private ownership sense an exploitative sense and in doing that your wire model can only get so big before it starts collapsing under all the bulk all the bs yeah i mean people are being pushed to squeeze more and more out we're just watching them collapse under the the weight of it it's just the, the current system, as far as I'm concerned, is unsustainable. And this is like... Just like that wire model. It's yeah. just too much weight on too little. And this is like, what is a civilization? What is a culture? Like, people are afraid, oh, where birth rates are too low. There's people moving from poor countries here. I don't like their culture or their civilization. Or colonists come over to North America and they're like, oh, these people's culture don't look like what we're used to. We're used to Christianity and people wearing buckles on their hats and lead-based makeup. Yeah. These people just hunt and, and vibe in the forest. I'm, that's the devil. Like, you see something. Oh, oh, animals, they they communicate with one another. But it just, to us, it just sounds like yelling. Like, they don't have language. Like, humans are the unique special creature that has language. And, yeah. you know, other creatures just don't. Like, if it doesn't look like what we're used to, we assume it must be worse. And... We assume what we've got must be the best because it's what we know and, and we can see all this wire that we've built up everywhere and we don't even see how maybe we're trapped by it or how it's not serving us. Yeah, I, I think like, you know, um, that just, <laughs> that that sort of like fear of outside, that fear of others, like it holds so much back, that fear of change as well. I think people are so like... They're so afraid of what, um, like what people coming in from outside represent, but something that we've seen, like there are various studies that show that, like you know, your interaction with people from outside of your local group, your whatever group it is, starts to breed an awareness of of others, and people become more accepting and more understanding, and you know. Um, there's even been a number of studies that shown like companies become way more productive when they have diverse number of employees from different backgrounds because it helps them to adapt to the fact that like stuff is done on a global stage even if you're 
only dealing with people in your own country at this point in order to keep numbers going immigration has been around and is a massive part of the numbers of people in a country and like they in order for the company to keep making a profit and keep doing things still under capitalism you know i'm not super keen on the the capitalist view but even under that it makes sense for us to have the diversity of different people from different places um so yeah like the fact that the capitalists then get to double dip by then blaming all the problems on the immigrants um for everybody who's not paying enough attention means that you know most people are like well they're taking our jobs like they really aren't like <laughs> not a job you want to do at least yeah what they are is being paid less by the guy that shipped them over so that he could uh keep his numbers up not like they're not stealing the jobs they're being given the jobs yeah i mean that's a whole other podcast of getting into yeah. that stuff but like the the whole thing is like we're we're caught up in an idea about what we think things are supposed to be like what we expect them to look like and when they don't look that way we have a tendency to assume it's worse that we're better than it yeah and like again like i think humans we we have a desire from our i think our history of thinking of ourselves as the top as the best um i think we all also have a desire to feel justified in what we do especially if we're doing something that we are capable of perceiving as as not good like say killing somebody or enslaving somebody we've got this sort of ingrained thing we seem to do where we're like no that was good actually like there's you know brain study stuff of scans that show that there's like i think it's a mra uh mri scans of our brain show that when you make a decision to do something it actually happens in your brain before you did like decided it like heard about and you justify it after the fact like so i think we we often do things that we can on some level our moral part of our brain is aware is like not cool like i wouldn't want to be killed and eaten say or colonized and enslaved and then we come up with a reason for it for why actually that's good and cool to do and so you get into things like oh yeah well i'm smarter than them they should have been better they should have you know survival the fittest baby just do better get good scrub like (laughs) i deserve to conquer other animals and own them because i'm better than them i'm the smartest end point of evolution and civilization and the world and the universe even i i think like the useful thing for for me or one of the things that i really delight about doing this podcast is just like thinking about these things and challenging my own perspectives and thinkings around and thinking around them it's like like bringing up the fact that i am not vegetarian or vegan but i do have these sort of moral views it's come about by just challenging my own ingrained perspectives on it it's like yes i'm doing this thing but i actually have moral problems with it and i need to like unpack that and understand it and i want to like apply that thinking and understanding to everything and it's okay to not know where you sit with something like i don't know i've got a complicated relationship with animal rights and like i don't know what the right thing is to do like there's no good or bad way to do things at this point because everything's kind of bad somehow in some way yeah but like yeah to be willing to challenge that and be open to something new to just consider the possibility that maybe a tyrannosaurus rex could break a stick or have children that it lives and works with like that's not that far out of the realm of reality but we're so invested with the idea of dinosaurs as like unfeeling lizards that you know just hunt and kill and fight 
Every illustration we've ever seen of a dinosaur is them snarling and roaring and fighting and killing. It's only yeah. recently we see reconstructions of them as having like feathers or caring with for their young or doing anything beyond murder. Like we had to create these monsters and that's a whole other psychological thing about why we would do that. But we had to, we, we create this idea of something uh, that fits our idea about what life is like, Remember, dinosaur reconstructions, like paleontology, really got going around the time that evolution was getting going. People thinking about survival of fittest, this struggle of nature, red and tooth and claw. And we think, oh yeah, dinosaurs, they're so big and strong. They must have been the most struggling, the most violentest, the most snarling monsters, dragon creatures. Like dinosaur bones literally were the basis for dragonness in a lot of places. So yeah. we're envisioning this big, horrible lizard, and all we see are its teeth, all we see are its bones. You look at any creature's skeleton, they're all scary. There's no such thing as a non-scary-looking skeleton. And if, we re- if you look, look at whale bones and, like, mosasaur bones, the marine reptiles, which, contrary to popular belief, are not dinosaurs, they were mm-hmm. actually closely related to lizards, doesn't matter. Th- those bones look identical almost. In fact, there are early whales that are misidentified as uh, marine reptiles and are named as such. Basilosaurus is one of the first whales we ever discovered, prehistoric whales. It was named like it was a, a lizard, Saurus. And That's interesting. It's a whale. Yeah. <laughs> Their bones are the same. But yeah. we, don't recon- we, we don't draw whales like snarling monster lizards because yeah. we see whales in real life. They're soft and, and fat and fun. they have children that they sing to. Like, but we we think of these other creatures as this monster because we need them to be because of the ideas that we were set in when we first discovered them. Yeah, I I think like, you know, it is is really good to see something challenging that narrative of uh, of them being monsters. And I think it's something that like, you know, like we sort of discussed here, it delves into so many other places where I think that kind of thinking shows up. And like through so many layers of our society, both past and present, like we've seen these these connections lead to often pretty terrible actions. And like even to like you know, I'm not going to say you should stop having pets because I I think having pets is is oh, wonderful. Like you know, I I think cats are adorable. I love them. I would love to have a pet raccoon, but. Like, I think it's interesting and worthwhile to look at how those connections fit together and to look at like, well, we make a lot of decisions for them based on this thinking and like, how do we come to this thinking? There's practical reasons that we can get into about like why we might make decisions for these pets. Because again, like, you know, they have the the intelligence of a a small child and like we need to make decisions for, for small children in a lot of cases because they don't have the ability to make those decisions for themselves. But I think it's still worthwhile looking at how we came to that reasoning. And, like, I think, you know, I I am very fond of disagreeing with the idea of the ends justify the means. And I think that is how we think about things is part of that. We need to, like, contemplate our decisions, contemplate why we do things so that we aren't doing them for the wrong reasons. So we aren't just like blindly following whatever people have decided is the truth. Like, you know, focus on on what, on thinking things through, on questioning your own beliefs. And like, opinions change. They should change. 
because they're not really worth anything if they don't change. Change so. is the key. That's the name of the game in evolution. Yeah. I, I want to leave off on a final note. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. If you're still convinced that we're the apex, we're the greatest because of all this stuff that we do, clearly we must deserve it all. Uh, I want to go back to our dear friend Tyrannosaurus Rex. This, yeah. by any account, a super animal. Much like how we think of ourselves as super animals. They got the best eyesight, maybe? The yeah. kind of the, almost the best smelling, best bite force. They're big. They got the biggest head. They got big brains. They like can walk as fast as an Olympic sprinter over long distances. They are super creatures that ruled their environment and existed in massive diversity at the end point of the existence of dinosaurs. But they didn't know that. They didn't know. There's no way they could know that this was the end. I don't know if they thought they were the end point. I think a Tyrannosaurus rex might be forgiven for thinking there was some kind of super end point that was justified in anything they did. Maybe give them a few million more years. They'll have a complicated enough language and culture to be able to be like, yes, T-Rex good. T-Rex owns the planet and deserves it. Like they might be forgiven for thinking that. And they got so big and so powerful and dinosaurs generally to say nothing of Tyrannosaurus, dinosaurs generally ruled this planet for 150 million years or so. And they kept getting bigger. They kept getting more diverse. They were doing better and better. Mammals were getting smaller and smaller and there were less and less of them. Mammals were losing the war. Dinosaurs were winning the war. They were the end point of evolution as far as they could tell. Until one fateful day in, I don't know, there's people have looked up. It was spring. We know it was spring. And okay. I think we even have an idea maybe of what time of day. That seems sketchy to me. No way. You don't know that. It's millions of years. Whatever. But it was spring. Mexico. A new star is shining in the sky. Seems to be shining brighter all the time. <laughs> it... it Flies through our atmosphere because it is, in fact, not a star. It is the asteroid Chicxulub, which is roughly the size of Mount Everest. And uh, it comes crashing into uh, what is now the Gulf of Mexico, I believe. And Mm -hmm. it causes a massive explosion, which is heard literally all over the planet. No matter where you are on the planet, you can hear this explosion. It causes a massive shockwave that creates hundreds of foot tall uh, tsunamis that wash over everywhere. Um, It creates a massive fire shock wave that blows up like everything, like within like basically that hemisphere around it. That's all incinerated, but that's not, that's just the start. That's the beginning. Oh, oh, by the way, that sound you could hear everywhere on earth. If you were close enough, of course, you're going deaf from that sound. It's going to deafen you. Most creatures on the planet were probably deafened immediately. And then, though, the real horror began when the crud that was kicked up by this this asteroid hitting the Earth, much of it was the asteroid itself, it flies up into the air. We hear about ash, you know, a lot of early reconstructions of the end of the dinosaurs were like, oh yeah, it kicked up ash. And that blocked out the sun and all the plants died. And so the herbivores died. Yes, that did happen. Yeah, But that's not the bad thing that happened what came with the ash clouds up in the sky was the molten glass rain little beads of molten glass raining literally all over the planet every single surface of the earth was hit by molten glass raining from the sky and if you are a great big multi-ton super animal i don't care how smart you are i don't care how good your eyesight is 
you're getting hit with little beads of molten glass from the sky, you're not living through that. Currently, you know, based on what we know about this, it's assumed that probably every large-bodied animal on Earth died that afternoon. They all got cooked. And if you were a tiny little animal that could hide in a rock that a dinosaur couldn't poke a stick into, then you could live. Nothing on land over 20 pounds lived. Things that lived in the water had a chance of making it through. And little stuff that could live underground, several feet at least underground, because that top layer of topsoil got cooked, then you could make it. So you could be a super animal. You could be the best animal that ever lived. But then circumstances will change. And like that, you're nothing. Honestly, the most terrifying aspect is... The nukes that we've built as a species are terrifyingly close in power. We could be our own Chicxulub. Yeah. So, I don't know. With that, Jenna, do you have any final thoughts on dinosaurs and being smart? Well, I I think it's a really cool sort of um, niche to dive into. I think it's, it's really interesting to see these kinds of things shaking up that world. And like, yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Me too. Except for all the dying part. They shouldn't that that part I'm not okay with. Yeah. I would like to do a redo. I, I demand the Bria cut of reality. <laughs> uh yeah, pretty much. Well, um thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you for sticking with us. If you want, you could you could support this podcast by going to the Life of Bria Patreon. Patreon.com slash life of Bria. Uh Bria Comics on Facebook, you should read my comics, lifeofbria.com. Uh, you could go on Twitter, I guess, at Life of Bria. I don't know why I do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have anything? Do you want to plug? Do you plug stuff? Uh, I don't really have all that much to plug at the moment. Just Life of Bria at the moment, working on that stuff and okay. trying to make this into something more. If you like this, we want to keep doing it. Oh, there's more coming. No matter yeah. what, there's more coming. So Right on. Well, to uh, quote my dear friend who I never met, but who I love in my heart, Alex the parrot, who was used in experimentation to teach us about uh, animal intelligence that we didn't get to go in. We'll do a whole podcast about Alex sometime. To paraphrase Alex, until next time, be good. I love you. I'll see you next week. See you next week.